My name is Brian Pillman Jr. This is Nick and Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks. This is Cody Rhodes, and you're listening. You are listening to the Mouth of the South Shore radio show. Too sweet me for the love of God. And here we are once again, Mouth of the South Shore Radio Show, coming at you from every angle on the interwebs, your Spotify, your Apple Podcasts, your Google Podcasts, Spreaker, wherever it is that you listen to your favorite radio shows and podcasts, we'll be there, and we're here, and we thank you for joining us. I am the Mouth of the South Shore, Eric Cordova. He is the Crav. He is... Not in the same room as me, as he never is, and certainly not now, but he is here. To be fair, it's very rare that I prefer to be in the same room as you. I feel like we operate better the further apart we are. We're, we're like when you explain to your kids when you're getting a divorce. Look, we like each other. We just can't be together. And I think Honestly, it's that way. Honestly, and, and this show is like the terms of that agreement. Like we get together once a week for the sake of the kids. I feel like this is in that agreement. Be like, listen, it's something we need to do, and we're gonna keep doing it until the wheels run off. But God damn it, I'm having a good time. If you want to get us on social media, we're at MOTSS Radio on the Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at Mouth of the South Shore Radio Show, and I think we're on Instagram. But I'm not actually devoted enough to care about that. We are. It's the same. It's the same um, at as Twitter. So at MOTSS okay. Radio on the Instagram. I'm still trying to figure out how to be as good as the children are on the Instagram. I, you know, I just, I don't know how to be. I don't know. Like I, I'm just not a picture guy, and I never have been actually. You know, it's funny. I went, I went on my honeymoon uh, about what nine months ago now. Which back then you were able to go places and do things. It was wild, wild time. Uh, remember when you could? Remember when you could leave your apartment? Those are the it days. was, I know, memories. But yeah, we went, you know, we went to Spain on the honeymoon, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the show. But the thing I'm thinking about is, I had to force myself to take pictures, and this is, I'm in a foreign country, I've never been there before, and I'm literally holding myself to the candle, like if you don't, you're not gonna have these. And my wife's not a big picture taker either, and we're like, we, but we have to do it. And even when I do it, I'm not like, oh, I got to post them. I, I haven't posted any of them. They're for us. But even so, like I just – pictures, it's just not my thing. And yet I know that it would help the show. So I'm trying here, children. I'm trying. We're, we're trying to do the thing. We'll, we'll see what happens. But we are on Instagram. And if you're well, on any what, of the – so- When it comes to Billy and the Crab, it's really easy to do the Instagram thing. Because all I do is take pictures, like screenshots of like draft boards and share articles. And you can find us on Instagram at BNK Radio I 95, I think. Not entirely sure about that, but I think. It's a lot easier to do it when you don't have to be in the pictures. I, too, fail when it comes to being in pictures. And my wife is the complete opposite. She loves pictures, and she loves it when I'm in them with her, which I don't think I will ever understand. So I get the struggle being great at taking pictures. But when you say taking pictures, do you not like being in them, or do you not like being behind the camera, or both? I mean, I definitely don't like being behind the camera. I'm not – like I said, it's not – I live in the moment, and I don't think in terms of – taking a picture i think in terms of just living right so i feel like ted mosby right now my parents live in he's, ohio i live yo, in the moment he's the worst character ever on a network television sitcom don't ever do that to yourself and this is that's coming from me i don't think that much of you never compare yourself to ted mosby yeah it did well it did, but, but i'm just saying like i I, I just don't think in terms of let me take you know let me take a picture when I'm enjoying some scenery or whatever, and then yeah if someone asks me to be in a picture I'll do it but I don't think in terms of 
hey, honey, let's take a picture together. You know, we're on this beautiful beach. I'm like, no, let's enjoy this beautiful beach together. Like, I just, conceptually, it's not a thing that comes to my mind. It's not like, oh, this calls for a picture. Like, I just, it never was my thing. But besides the point, there are times in your life that pictures are important. We just passed one of those milestones with the, with the wedding. You got to take a lot of pictures at the wedding, right? The honeymoon. You got to take a lot of pictures. The worst day ever, man. Worst day ever with all those pictures. Yeah. I still haven't gotten mine, by the way. Still haven't gotten my what? album. Still haven't gotten no? my wedding album. Nope. Really? Oh. Nope. And we, we got married early October. Oh, okay. Well, we actually just got the video a few weeks ago. That was exciting. They, you Rachel, know, we spent a few months. Somehow Rachel uh, did the video. We got the raw footage, and my wife is incredibly talented and edited together the video all by her lonesome. And it came out right. tremendously. It's always good to have, right? But my point was is that you have all these occasions. The one that usually comes after, in, in a lot of people's cases, is the one that we're going to be talking about. We're going to kick off the show with some big news in the world of wrestling. If you tuned into Monday Night Raw, it was announced beforehand that Becky Lynch had a major announcement to make on this show. And, of course, that major announcement was that Becky is going to be Becky Babies. How about that? She's going to be leaving for a while. Going to go off and uh, become the mom. So, well, I got I got a bone to pick with you about this. About what? You, know, you already know what it is. Uh, we, we we have discussed, but not necessarily at length. But we have discussed it. You All right. have the audacity, the testicular fortitude. To, to slide into my DMs and be like, do you get the sense that Becky really doesn't want to step away from wrestling and have the baby? And here I am, a normal human being, taking like how in what universe character work is not even no no character work withstanding. In what world would somebody who intentionally I'm assuming got pregnant? would not want to have their child. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, she looks sad. Do you think, I have the quote, did it seem to you like, three dots, she doesn't really want to be having a kid. Really? As I watched in the moment, and and look, this is one of those things where they're breaking, it's not done in character. I'm just going to stop it there. That's not a thing that was done in character. Asuka broke character. They said that they didn't tell her beforehand what was happening. She didn't know she was becoming the champion, and she didn't know that her friend was pregnant. So everything you saw from Asuka was out of character. Like, yeah, she was dancing in character because her character was excited, but when Becky said it was, I'm going to go off and be a mother, she broke character and went, oh, my God, congratulations, like because she didn't know. That's breaking character. Yeah, but you, That's had, not you, had that, you had sent that message to me before the before Oscar broke character. That was an amazingly adorable moment. It was. Like that, it that was. was one of the few real genuine moments that we can get out of wrestling nowadays. But you sent that message to me well before the segment was over. Yeah. Well, like I said, it just. I was trying to read it, but that that doesn't matter. Look. At the end of the day. If that, if that's where she's at, I'm happy for her. the the challenge that I face is that a year and a half ago we were talking about whether Becky should be the face of the industry, and she basically has been for about a year, right? This is why, and I'm not I'm not saying this to be sexist. I'm saying like if you ever had a question as to why it's more difficult to make a woman the face of the industry, this is why, right? Because I wanted to do this like her husband or fiance or whatever. He doesn't have to go away to be pregnant and to have the kid. She does. Technically, so that's, technically she doesn't have to go away. Well, she, she, she can't wrestle. Let's put it that way. She can't be the champion. Well, when you, so she could still appear on television and things. And maybe she will. Do you know how many times injured wrestlers who couldn't work were still on television on a weekly basis? It's yeah, but what do you have? Storylines with a pregnant lady? Like, you know, and at some point she's going to have to go away. The point is. Maria that's was what the is. first ever pregnant 24 7 champion. I don't yes. want to hear it. 
and and we're going to talk about the current 24-7 champion later in the program. Um, we heard a lot, obviously, from the mother, right? We actually, I didn't want to tell you beforehand, but we have exclusive, only on this show, exclusive commentary from the father. We have his reaction to when Becky told him that she was pregnant. How exciting is this? We have the footage, so here's, here it is. I'm a father! I did it! My boys can swim! Very exciting stuff, folks. I, I'm, I'm glowing for him. I know he's trying to play character on TV, but, you know, you find that out. It's, it's big-time stuff as a man, is it not? Um, I don't know where that clip came from. I'm going to be super honest with you. Oh, my God. Where is it from? It's from Seinfeld. You know perfectly well I have never seen a full episode of Seinfeld. Oh, my God. You're sitting there rewatching all your other shows, and none of those shows exist if not for Seinfeld. Do yourself a favor and watch some Seinfeld. That's how I know you're a history boss, right? Like, how dare you appreciate what you have in front of you instead of what paved the way for it? How could you do that? You should. You should, okay? I'm and you know what? I'm doing this show from your front porch in your rocking chair. Well, listen. how is it outside? I, I am someone who appreciates the past. I'm, I studied history. I love it. And this is why I'm into documentaries. This is how we're going to transition into our topic of the day, folks. Doing great. I mean, the biggest the, – absolutely. That's why they pay me the big bucks and you the mid-card bucks. But the biggest thing right now in sports, because, well, there isn't actual sports, is the last – the Last Dance, right? The Mike, the Michael Jordan documentary. I mean, I know it's about the 98 Bulls, but let's be honest. It's the Michael Jordan documentary. Well, WWE put out their version of it, I guess, in The Last Ride. And we, we saw part one. It's going to be a five-part series, so five hours as opposed to ten. But it's all about The Undertaker's last couple of years. So, have, first of all, have you watched the first episode of The Last Ride? I have. It's what gave me the uh, the idea for this this segment, I guess. Because we could technically run with this for another four weeks if we really, really wanted to. But it's sort of a retrospective on the Undertaker's career between 2017 and 2020. And like the Jordan documentary, it weaves in things from before that. It weaves in things from present day. And it, and it sort of marries the two together in a really nice way. I don't know if it's going to happen. I hope they go over The Undertaker being the head honcho in wrestler's court. Just because I would love to see the WWE put a spin on that. I know they won't. But it's just something that I think would be really cool. And the one thing that gives me hope that they'll do that is because in The Last Dance, they highlighted Michael Jordan punching Steve Kerr in the face. And that, to me, is sort of a similar situation. Police your roster, police your teammates. So I'm yeah, hoping, but in a sick sort of sense, the WWE will highlight it. They won't, but I, I would love that. Right, but remember, ESPN is making this documentary. WWE is making the one about Taker, the company that owns it. So imagine if – who's the, uh, the guy that looks like the Space Jam guy? The GM of – so if Jerry Krause was making the documentary, do you think that all the shots of Jerry Krause would be in there? I, I don't think, you know, like, ESPN has a little more carte blanche because they genuinely don't care. They can put whatever they want in there. WWE has their own image to worry about when they're putting these things together. So while they're good... Oh, I, I'm aware. That's why, that's why I'm carte blanche that it'll never happen. I'm just saying yeah. I'd like to see it. That's all. You know, you know what I would like... And I know they're not going to do it. I would love WWE to admit that The Undertaker, for like a good five or six years at the beginning of his run, really wasn't that good. Like, they were trying, you know, but they they didn't know how to book him. And his matches were never great uh, until he gets to, I would say, when, when he starts facing Diesel. 
I don't think you, you could find more than a handful of really good Undertaker matches. You'd be like, wow, that was a good match. I really enjoyed that. Doesn't exist. But they won't admit that. They'll, they're going to talk about how great he was from the get and all that stuff. They can't even admit that his match with Giants Gonzalez sucked. And everyone knows that the match with Giants Gonzalez sucked. I'm sure even Giant Gonzalez, God rest his soul, is like, you know, that match sucked. I'm very openly not the wrestling historian of this show. I, uh, I'm definitely kind of not nearly as good at that as you are, but I, I, know what, I know what I need to know for what we're about to talk about. Okay. So I want you to introduce it, and, you know, let's, let's jump into this thing. All right. I'll introduce it then. The segment that we wanted to do. We were looking at the Jordan documentary. And yes, it's about Michael Jordan. But at the same time, what it's really about is the Chicago Bulls. And how did the Chicago Bulls become champions? How did they build their team? And... Ultimately, it wasn't in the era of the super team like it is now. You didn't have, like, the big four. You had one, maybe two guys in each team, right? Stockton and Malone. Peyton Kemp. Ewing and Starks. Jordan Pippen. And so, there are, there's an important aspect of building the Jordan Bulls, of building a starting five, building a team, because you can't just have a super team. That doesn't work in sport. So, what we're going to do is we're going to build our starting five for the Undertaker, and we're going to use the same parameters as the the three-peat. 96 through 98, right? Or 95, 96 season through through June of yeah, 1998. Well, let's go. It's basically 96 through June 1998 when the Bulls won that six Okay. So, I, I mean, I guess we're going to start with Taker being Jordan, right? So that's the easy one. That's that, whether or not he's the biggest star of the era, we're going to – Taker's the Jordan for that time period. So – well, I'm giving, you gotta have, well, I'm giving it to Jordan. I'm giving it to Taker because he commanded the respect of his locker room like Jordan commanded their respect of his, right? But in, in even nowadays, like you have guys like Austin and, and, and Tina and The Rock and Flair and Hogan as like the public faces of wrestling. But if you ask everybody in the locker room, they'll say the guy who commanded the most respect according to – Episode one of The Last Ride, if you haven't watched it yet, watch it on the WWE Network. The guy who always commanded the most respect was The Undertaker. So I figured it's a really easy parallel to draw Michael Jordan to The Undertaker in that respect. And then we can build it out from there. Yeah, I mean, and there's an argument to be made at that time, because it's, it's very much a transition time for WWE, right? Because you had your Bret Hart, you had your, you had your Shawn Michaels, so it can be argued that any of them are the top guy in that time. Really, HBK is probably the top guy, but he really wasn't because nobody liked him and it, the ratings weren't good. So we're going to go with the guy who got on top and stayed there for the rest of his career in The Undertaker. So now we need a sidekick for The Undertaker. And, and I don't mean, you know, the guy that he runs with and drives with on the road. I mean, who, is, who made The Undertaker's career in that time period? Like who's, like, who's the guy? So I'm going to ask you. Well, it might surprise you, but my answer is not Kane. It is not The Undertaker. It is not uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Of course it's not The Undertaker. But that's not synonymous Kane and The Undertaker. We're all with one another. My choice is the man who elevated The Undertaker to the main event. 
to allow him to go on the type of main event run that he had for the rest of his career. And I am talking about Mankind. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. I don't know. I, I um, don't I'm going to pretend that kind. didn't happen and just continue on with my life. But also, can we agree that when we talk about the Undertaker-Mankind feud, we're talking about it before the Hell in the Cell? Like when Mankind first debuted in the WWE then and, and yeah. Mankind was actually a crazy, crazy bastard, and with the stuff with Colbert and the Earth, that kind of stuff is what I'm talking about when it's what I mean making the Undertaker a main event talent. Because the night when he threw mankind off the set, he's already there. Yeah, and as I said, the Undertaker, they, they hot-shotted him to the main event in 91, but he wasn't really there. He was kind of a pawn with Ric Flair. And then after that, he was a mid-card guy who was just a big dude beating up on other big dudes, and that's what they thought was his use. At the end of 95, he gets in a feud with Diesel. And that, that's his first really... I mean, he feuded with Yokozuna, but that was sort of just to get Yokozuna over more than anything. So, really, when we start getting into 96 and the WrestleMania match with Diesel, that's where you start saying, okay, we're going to treat this guy like a much bigger deal. The night after WrestleMania, Mankind debuts. And that feud, it, it took the idea of Undertaker feuding with a monster, but a monster that can bring the best out of him. And, again, when you think of Jordan and Pippen, Pippen was clearly not trying to be Michael Jordan. He understood that he was the guy running with him. Mick Foley is the ultimate guy in wrestling that understood that he was running with other people. He didn't have to be the guy. He wanted to be the guy next to the guy making the guy look good. He did it for Austin. He did it for The Rock. Like Rikishi, I guess. He did it for The Rock. But he, he also did it for... Yeah. I mean, he did it for Kane. When, when Kane first debuted, his first feud for Kane was, was him, was Mankind. Because you need a guy who's going to go in there and make you look the way you should look. And guys like Undertaker, guys like Kane, they need to look unstoppable. They need to look like they're being... Like someone has a shot at them, but that they're gonna win. So that's that's your guy. That's your. I think we're in agreement here. That that's your number two. So my one issue with the comparison is that when Jordan left and retired for the ninety, uh, what was ninety four season, right? Ninety three, ninety four season, and then he came back in yeah. ninety five. Pippen was the top three player in the league at that point. Do you think the Undertaker was gone would elevate to be one of those guys to be a top I mean, three? Uh, how about top five? Could Mankind be a top-five-type talent without The Undertaker there, without Jordan there? So yeah, I mean, he was, you know. In early 99, when The Undertaker was around, you could make a very strong argument that he was the number two or three guy because, yeah, The Rock was the champion, but I don't think he was at his full powers yet. Stone Cold's the guy. Undertaker is off being a weirdo. By this point, he's, you know, Ministry of Darkness and all that stuff. Mankind was legitimately the number two babyface on Monday Night Raw and probably only short of Stone Cold Steve Austin, the most popular guy in the show. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think very much he's in that realm of he can be a star in his own, but he's probably never going to be the star of the entire thing. He's never going to be the Jordan, right? But that's okay. He can be a big star without being the Jordan. So I think the comparison's perfect, actually. But we, we can't just have two guys, right? You can't just have two guys. We need to fill out our roster. So who else are we filling out our roster with? I'm going to throw it to you. You're building your top five. Who else are we building it with? When it comes to giving the Undertaker the support that he needs, other than men, there's really only one other name on the main card, so to speak, like I would say maybe top 25 players in the NBA level. And that guy is Kane. Right? Kane is the guy who would be there to support the Undertaker, really be there like a big guy for just to beat up on a little bit, get him, get his confidence up. And, of course, you really can't have the Undertaker, especially in that 
arrow without pain. It's just literally impossible. Their, their fates are intertwined literally forever. And it might be a little cliche. I feel like you have a different answer than I do. But I, I personally can't have a list about The Undertaker and creating a lineup surrounding him without including Kane. I just can't do it. Yeah, and I get that. But I went a different direction because I wanted... I wanted to go with somebody that, because Kane was a younger guy who was looking to be the guy, right? Like, he's competing with Undertaker to be a big deal moving forward. I was looking for somebody that understood that they were never going to be the big deal again. They'd had their time, and yet they're still a big presence, and competing with the guy and beating this guy would still mean something. And this feud did happen. Not maybe not the way that it uh, should have happened, but it did. And that guy was Big Van Vader. You know, I, I just well, first of all, you know I'm a Vader Mark, so I have to get him in there somewhere. But he came over you? in '96. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I I've made no secret of this, and I don't hide from it. I the guy was amazing in the mid '90s, okay? But he comes over to WWF, feuds with um with Shawn Michaels by the summertime, but he knew. Either A, I'm getting a short run, or B, I'm not getting a run at all. And he never did. He never got a run as the champion. He was the guy that was going to beat up on a lot of people and then ultimately lose to the top guys in the industry at that point in his career. And it's not a bad place to be, and it certainly is not a bad place to be in being that guy for The Undertaker. So for that spot, I'm going with my man, Corey Matthews' man, Frankie Stacchino's man, Big Van Vader. You take the next point. Who are you adding to your roster to bolster it up? Like the, the old reliable guy, like a Dennis Rodman sort of dude. All right. Well, I need You're right. I need a Rodman. I need a guy. Well, first of all, I was like, you know what? If I'm doing a Rodman, let me just take the Rodman of the WWE. Who's the guy that you love him if he's with you, but you hate him if he's not? Who is that guy? And it was the easiest thing in the world. Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Because from the day that guy walked through the door as Justin Hawk Bradshaw, by the way, so this is not JBL. This is not APA Bradshaw. This is Justin Hawk Bradshaw. He was already a bully. Like, literally day one walks in and he's a bully. He's Dennis Rodman. I mean, there's no easier comparison. And the thing about it is he was really good at what he was, right? He was a, a brawler type and he was tough. So it's not a bad thing for him to be a bully, right? They talked about him on the uh, the dark side of the ring in the brawl for all. He made it to the finals when Vince Russo thought, hey, he'll get knocked out in the first round. And I want to see him get knocked out. He legitimately was tough. He's a tough son of a gun, as they say. So for me, and eventually he would run with The Undertaker as part of the Ministry of Darkness after the fact. But as Justin Hawk Bradshaw, he was in that match where Mankind debuted. They had other matches, and I just think the, the personalities lend themselves. So I'm going with Justin Hawk Bradshaw. I was going to do the Acolytes version along with Farouk because they're both such badasses. And when I think Dennis Rodman, I don't think, you know, banging Carmen Electra and Madonna in the, in the hair. I think the badass of the NBA. So, should I have gone gold dust now that I'm thinking about it? Should I have gone gold dust for the have, Dennis Rodman? You probably should have gone gold dust. That was a vast oversight by you. They had a feud for the Intercontinental Championship. And Mankind actually helped Goldust beat the Undertaker and retain the championship. So the cross was there. You, you, yeah. you, just, you just missed the shot. I blew it. I blew it. Thanks, Abbott. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'm going to use gold dust for my last Acolytes. That was what late '98. Yeah, they, they debuted. Yeah, after the uh, after Farouk was kicked out of the Nation of Domination, he formed a tag team with Bradshaw. Chugging and like all that stuff, that was just being kind of douchey to me. And I didn't think Dennis Rodman is a douchey 
bad ass at the moment. I thought of him as a real bad ass. So that's why I'm going with the combination of Bradshaw, not JBL, Bradshaw and Rook, the athletes. All right, so we got one more spot. And it's okay. I, I probably should have. I probably should have with the you know the clothing and the gold hair. It was probably the easy way to go. I just, you know I, I got to be difficult on myself. But and, 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 and literally the connection with mankind was there. You just you just literally dropped the ball. Michael Jordan would punch you in the face if you did that at practice. He you know and I would not be the first person to attend the University of Arizona to be punched by Michael Jordan. So how about that? True that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have one more spot, and I look at this spot as the B.J. Armstrong, Ron Harper type spot, Steve Kerr even. The guy who's Horace in the lineup. Goggles. Well, Horace Grant is more your Dennis Rodman of the early 90s. But I'm talking about the guy who he's not going to ever be your top guy. But he's going to be in your lineup, and he's going to work hard, and he plays a valuable role. That's the guy we need because we, we don't need more, you know. So who do you have as that guy? Who's the, the guy who's valuable to your lineup no matter what? That's tough because there are a bunch of people on, like, the 1996, 1998 WWF roster, right? A ton, a ton of guys. I'm trying to think. I, I had a list up, and I lost it, and I'm very mad at myself because I did come to this prepared. But you wouldn't know it. Well, I'm going to give you mine as, yeah, as you come yours, up with this. So it gives me time to gather my thoughts. Well, I wanted to go with somebody in the WWF at the time that no matter what role you put him into, he would succeed. And he's the type of guy that would always make you look good, right? That's what a point guard does. Yeah, sometimes if you give him the ball, he'll hit the big shot for you. He's capable of it. But his role is really to make you look good. And in the in the in the late nineties, mid to late nineties, that guy for me was easy. It's Owen Hart. I mean, Owen can be in there with anybody, and he he's been in the ring with the Undertaker. He'll he'll bump around for you. He'll fly around. He'll make you look like a million bucks. And then he'll go off and he'll do what he needs to do. And he's helping the team. He's a team guy. He was never a me first kind of guy. He's all about the WWF team. He wants to make the show as good as possible. May have been to his detriment, right? He you know, went off and did the Blue Blazer stuff. But Owen Hart, the performer, was all about how can we make this whole thing work and be entertaining. And I think that's the perfect guy to fill out my roster, my top five with The Undertaker. I can't find it. I was going to try to make a British Bulldog connection because it sounds like it could be good to go along with your Owen Hart guys that can just work and know their role and be the team player. But I can't make an argument better than the one you just made for Owen. So I'm going to piggyback on that. And I'm going to say Owen Hart as well. All right. Well, we got anything else. I'm a little upset about it too, because I had somebody and I can't remember it because my memory is just freaking impeccable, but I can't. All of us on social media, if I ever remember it, I'll make sure to post it at MOTFS Radio on Twitter, on Facebook, at Mouth of the South Shore Radio. I don't use Instagram because I have a face for radio. You know what? Tweet, tweet us what your starting five would be. If you could put together Taker's starting five from 1996 to 1998, who's on your team? Tweet us at MOTSS Radio, and if there's any, of them, any good ones, we'll, we'll read them on the air live next week. Well, not live, whenever you hear the podcast, but... On the show next week. With this listener, listener engagement. They, they tell me that's what you're supposed to do. So uh, we're going to try to do it. And with that said, it is good to be engaged. It is also good to be married. It is good to just be with a woman, isn't it? But, fellas, we've all been in that situation where you've been with your woman and your rooster just needs a booster. It's just it's not happening that day. Don't give up on yourself. Don't be down. Get yourself some Blue Chew at BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. And remember, we tell you this all the time, but Blue Chew is the first chewable with the FDA active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis. And 
they deliver it discreetly. So remember, if you need to get your hands on this, if you need to up your sex life, you need a little help in the bedroom. BlueTree.com. You go there. You give our promo code WPP. Your first shipment will be free. Just pay the $5 shipping. And they will send you a discreet package right to your front door. And these days, it'll blend right in with the 500 other packages that people are ordering because nobody leaves their house. So it's even better. It's even better to be hidden amongst all the packages that you're getting. In one of them will be your Blue Chew. And you'll be happy. Your lady will be happy. So what are you waiting for, fellas? Get started today. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color Chew. Blue like the color blue, I'm sorry. Chew.com and get your first shipment free. All right. We've made it. I'm surprised that they have. Yeah. All right. So I want to take the second half of the show. I want to get into uh, some rumors and some real stories. And I want, to, I want to kick it off with one of these rumors that I heard this week, which is, well, not, this, this first part's not a rumor. Money in the Bank was a thing that happened this Sunday. We didn't talk about it. We can. Look, Asuka won it. Now she's the champion. The other person that won it was Otis. It was a weird thing that happened, but it was entertaining as hell. So I'm cool with it. But the amazing thing about it is I'm sitting there at 930 and the show is over. Turns out it's the shortest pay-per-view since 1997. And that was intentional as Vince wants the shows to be shorter, quote unquote, until they can get back into arenas. Your thoughts on shorter pay-per-views. I told you that this was, I told you that it was so short. It was beautiful. And it literally made it my favorite pay-per-view of the decade. Didn't have to sit there for too long. The matches had time to grow and breathe. There wasn't really anything filler on there other than MVP and R-Truth. And that was sort of to establish them being sort of a niche thing, which I'm sure we're going to hit a little bit later on. And the shorter pay-per-view, especially now with the cinematic match, are... They're literally a match made in heaven. You can film hours of content for these matches. Take only the best stuff, edit down a match to half an hour, 40 minutes, like they did it with the Money in the Bank matches. And I say matches because both. You take the filler. You only put the things in there you think people want to see. You can't do that with live matches. It's hilarious that you can't do it with live matches, but you can't. It's a match made in heaven, and I wish they would keep it short. That way, they wouldn't have fodder in matches anymore. The matches that made the pay-per-view would actually matter. And I'm a little upset that until they hit arenas again is attached to that, because I'm for shorter pay-per-views from here on out. It would be great. Nobody has time to sit for five and a half hours for WrestleMania. Yeah, I agree. And I was thinking, why stop with... Because think about it. He's saying, oh, until we get back into the arenas. As if, as if people in arenas are so stoked to get there at 6 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Light, in the summer, the lights are still out, right? You go there with your kid and you don't leave until 11.30? You know, this type of stuff is crazy. And imagine if you were in the arena for that and you took your kid, you get there at, you know, six o'clock, right? You saunter in and nine 30, the show's over. You're home by 10 o'clock. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. I, I imagine that this is how it should be. I mean, I, I think, especially if you're catering to children and by 10, it's fantastic. It's beautiful. So, I'm a big fan of that. Now, I want to I shift gears, though, into real stories in the world of fake professional wrestling. Because I don't want to do too many rumors this week. Because there was a lot of real stuff going on. And 
this caught my attention. This happened over the weekend, or at least the news broke over the weekend. So apparently there's a comedian named Tom Segura. I, I don't know too much about him. And Kravit, if you do, you can drop in after this and let me know. But Tom Segura I'm is a comedian. I know nothing about this boy. Nothing. Neither do I. But I guess he's a comedian that some people know. And he has a podcast. He's on, it's with his wife. So they're on the podcast, and I don't know what prompted it, but they start talking about professional wrestling, and they started talking about fans of professional wrestling, and Tom immediately calls them, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it because I'm quoting him, but he called professional, professional wrestling fans retards. And the reason that he says this is that he's like, oh, these people get together, and they're like, oh, did you see that? Did you see the show? And... You know, and, they, they, and he goes, they walk around talking like it's real. And he's like laughing about it. Like he's just every, ha ha, I'm laughing about it. They think it's real. Ha ha. So I want to address this. First off, you're an idiot. It's not about it being real. It hasn't been for a long time. We're, we're not the, it's still real to me, damn it, crowd. Most wrestling fans understand what they're watching is scripted entertainment that the characters that they see on screen are not, in fact, who those people are in real life. Case in point, even if you have bought into the legacy of The Undertaker, now you're seeing him as Mark freaking Calloway on The Last Ride. So even people who bought it for years are now seeing the behind-the-scenes of that guy. That's number one. But here's what I don't understand. What, why does it have to be real for you to enjoy? Like, Why is wrestling the only medium... Where something would have to be real to enjoy it. I, I don't understand that. Like what? what? If something's not real, you can't enjoy it? I mean, someone better tell Artem then. Because he should really stop enjoying Nikki Bella's boobies. Because they're not real. Right? I mean, while we're at it, don't watch the X-Men movies. Because you know those people aren't really mutants, right? They're, they're just people playing characters in a movie. Like they're not, they don't have superpowers. Don't enjoy Marvel, guys. It's not real. It's not real. Guys, Superman can't really fly. You can't enjoy that. I don't know. It's, it's terrible. Like, what is this obsession with only wrestling? People have to buy into the idea that it's real. I don't get it. I, enlighten me, crap. Well, we both know I don't have the knowledge to uh, enlighten anybody. But I will try to explain it. And I'll do it the best I can, even though it's a terrible excuse. I'm only trying to play devil's advocate. Well, before we do... How do you feel about uh, fake titties? Course. How do you feel about them? I, I need to know. Could, would you be able to enjoy fake boobies? From a visual perspective, absolutely. From a physical perspective, I'm not a fan of bags of sand. And I feel like that's what fake boobies are. Just bags of sand. Have you ever felt a fake boobie? I have not. I, I am all natural all the time. So, yeah, I, I mean, listen. Most of the ones I've felt in my life have been natural, right? But at some point in your life as a man, someone's going to drag you to a strip club and there's going to be at least one stripper that's got fake boobies. Somehow, your hand is going to touch it. And I got to tell you, I, I don't enjoy it as much. With that said, if I, didn't, if I was none the wiser or if they did a really good job, Who's to say? And, and like I said, you know, if you're Artem, if you're The Miz, you know, any of these guys who are married to women with, with fake boobies, are we really going to criticize all the men? Like, let them enjoy the boobies. So what? They got some extra stuff in there. Let them have fun. It's a difference. Anyway, back to you. So before I was rudely interrupted because Cordova wanted to brag that he's touched a pair of fake tits. WWE it, it ain't bragging. In general, like to present themselves as real sports. And that is the difference between movies and the WWE and other scripted TV shows and the WWE. I'm not sitting here defending this piece of garbage cigar because I'm, not, I'm literally right now talking about professional wrestling. I'm clearly a fan of the product, even though I hate to sit for an hour and a few minutes every Thursday to talk about it. I could see the perspective because shows like this present themselves, for the most part, I'm not sitting here saying that the 
backyard match or the funhouse match or other types of cinematic matches or even gimmick matches pretend to present themselves as some sort of a real athletic combat sport. Remember, by the way, when they used to try to call themselves combat sport back when they got on Fox? They dropped that real quick, and it makes me laugh every time I think about it. But that's why pieces of trash like this guy make fun of people like us. Because they don't know that we know. I feel like if they knew that we sort of buy into it and go balls to the wall with it, and we know that even though they're trying to present as a legitimate sport, they're not. The athletes are legitimate. What they do in the ring is legitimate, obviously. Yeah, but it's it's 2020. You know, at this point, I think people know... I think they do at this point. I don't disagree with you on that, but it's ignorant that leads to this type of hatred. And I guarantee you, this guy's going to go out of his way to talk to somebody and be like, hi, why do you You're going to keep calling them retards? If this guy had a semblance of decency, which he may, I don't know him, I've never heard of this guy, I probably will hear of him again after this conversation. But People like, because there are a ton of people like this. If they don't get it, then they choose it. That's what leads to things like this. I'll give my final thoughts on this. Look, Tom Segura, Tom Segura, you're not famous, and you ain't, you're not even that funny. Like, you thought this was, the thing is, your podcast is there for humor. So if you were doing that for humor, even if I'm not a wrestling fan, it ain't that funny. So that's number one. Work on being funny. That's, that's what you should do. And number two, it seems like you have a, a big problem with things that, are, that you perceive as fake. So with that said, Tom, I urge you tonight not to enjoy your wife's orgasm. Because clearly, you can't enjoy things that are fake. So moving forward. <laughs> Honestly, that's you assuming that he's going to get laid tonight. I'm looking at this guy, and I feel like he hasn't gotten laid in So that was my thought, but he does do the podcast with his wife, and I assume at some point she takes pity on him. Listen, at some point in our lives, you know, we're not going to be the young stallions we are now, and our wives will just take pity on us, right? So it, it's kind of built into the relationship. I'm not saying it's going to happen all the time, right? But... He's got to get, you know, he's he's married. I'm sure it happens at some point. Like at some point, she takes pity, or she's just bored, or something. I don't know. But you're right. It, you know, I, I could go on and on about this guy. He should know better. He should know better because he, he he's got nothing all that much going for him. So I want to shift to somebody who does. Do you want to know who he reminds me of before Who's we that? go along? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know the show uh, Tim and Eric. Yes. Eric. Okay, I can see that. But he yeah. looks exactly like this guy. Now I we can see move that. on. So the next story I want to get to is Rob Gronkowski. Of course, we've talked about he showed up, he won the 24-7 title, and now he's gone with the 24-7 title. Going back to football. The story that came out this week is that Rob Gronkowski, one of the toughest tight ends in football, in theory, was absolutely terrified of doing the dive off the balcony that he had to do in order to win the 24-7 title. So to help alleviate his nerves, one Vincent Kennedy McMahon, he of 74 years of life on earth, jumped off the balcony to show him how it's done. Don't ever say that your boss won't do the things that he's asking you to do when Vince McMahon is jumping off of balconies to show a football player, hey, this is safe. That dude's going to live to 125. I'm, I'm convinced. He I just think didn't. that's a little – I think it's a little bit – I don't want to say the stats are padded on that one, but I don't see Vince McMahon jumping off like a hell in a cell like the show Kevin Owens made. You know what I mean? Because no, because he's jumping onto people, and nobody in that group of people wants to be the schmuck to drop the 
wants to be that guy. I would argue that nobody in the history of working a job ever was more motivated to be the best at their job than all the jobbers on the floor in that moment. Of course, but he still did it. So credit where credit's due to McMahon. Gronkowski, even after seeing that, was still afraid to do it. So they had to alter the camera angles to shoot from a low angle because, as it was quoted in the article, they didn't want you to see Gronk bending his knees like a toddler jumping in the pool for the first time. The good news is they also edited out Tom Brady holding his hand. So they did a good job making you believe it. And I don't know. Well, either way, the, clearly the, the story is that Gronkowski was afraid to do the stunt, which calls into question whether or not – I understand all these guys because we had Gronk. We're hearing stories of Enos Cantor wanting to get into wrestling. They all are fans, but wrestlers themselves are just a totally different breed. Most of them don't bat an eye about this stuff. They're like, oh, do I have to dive off this thing? Yeah, no problem. You know. It's part of the job. That's the way they see it. But these guys are like, oh, I just thought everyone else would do that. No, you, you got to do it. And you don't, and again, you don't have Bill Belichick holding your hand on it. You don't have Tom Brady. You're on your own, kid. So he did it. However he did it, he did it. And we'll move on with our lives because Gronk ain't going to be around. Who knows how they're going to end up playing out this 24-7 thing. Not going to dwell on it. What I do want to do is I want to end the show because we're not doing, like, coverage anymore of Raw or AEW or even pay-per-views. But obviously we had a unique concept with the Money in the Bank. And I just I wanted to just get your thoughts on it because we've never seen anything like it. There were a lot of cameos, so I'll go with that. What was your favorite cameo in the Money in the Bank ladder match? What would So let me ask you that. If you're going to do, because I have no problem with cameos. It just adds a little, ha ha, there's some humor there. How would you have done it? Like, who would you have had? Because think about it. You're doing it. All the guys that were there are corporate guys, just, but they were dressing up as their characters, right? Bruce Pritchard, corporate guy. Laurenitis, corporate guy. I mean, Vince McMahon, obviously. I like the Vince McMahon one, actually, because it was funny that... funsies obviously and I was entertained by the whole thing you might even say I was sports entertained so not the worst thing in the world I guess the biggest thing was 
they corrected it the next day, but they played it off like Baron Corbin murdered two people. It's kind of weird. Like, I, I don't understand the. I guess I don't understand the point of that, especially since Aleister Black was my pick to win it. For this reason, and I'll I'll just say it real quick, like quick fantasy booking, because I'm tired of the whole way they usually cash in. I wanted Aleister Black to win and then show up on Raw without the briefcase for months. Like, just don't talk about it. He's Aleister Black. He's, he still comes out of the coffin. He beats people up. He hits the, you know, hits the black mass. Cool. And, he, and he's building himself up. He's, he has feuds. He beats you know, major people. After the Royal Rumble, which he does well in, whoever wins the Rumble just tells the world, I'm going ca- you know, to fight this person at WrestleMania. Aleister Black comes out on the next show and comes out with the briefcase and just says, I'm cashing this in. I'm fighting you at WrestleMania. That's it. I think it would have been awesome. He would have earned his spot by winning matches throughout the year. We didn't have to worry about the constant tease of the cash-in because Aleister Black stays true to who he is. He doesn't do it that way. And he cashes in and says, I'm, I'm fighting for a shot at, at WrestleMania. You could even have a Baron Corbin or somebody be the heel and go, you don't get to just cut the line. That's not how this works. And you set up your match at uh, Glory Road or End of the Road. What, what is the stupid pay-per-view on the road to WrestleMania? What's the name of that one? Roadblock. That one, Roadblock. So you have him fight at Roadblock so he earns his spot or whatever nonsense, but it'd be a cool, different way to go with it. But instead, Aleister Black died. And Rey Mysterio died. And then they were alive the next day with not even a scratch. Like, no, I'm that's a lie. More... Oh, they have scratch cornea now. Yes, yes. <laughs> now he a does. Cornea. Huh. I, you know, that's upsetting, though. I mean, you would think... like. This is going to be somebody's father. You got, you got to tone it down. I, I get it, but, you know. I do have a question for you. I'm about to switch it up. I'm going to make you What's answer the, a question. Uh, I'm listening. How do you feel about the Money in the Bank briefcase being treated like the catch rule in the NFL? You need to have possession in order to win. Yeah, we shouldn't even have to talk about that. I, I mean, look, I get what they did. And it's the only way if you're going to have Otis win it to, ha- to do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm withholding my judgment on Otis winning because I, I want to see SmackDown. I want to see what they're doing. If they think Otis is going to be a main eventer, they have it all wrong. Guys like Otis shouldn't be in the main event, and that's not a bad thing. Like, he's the perfect mid-card fun act that should be around for a lot of years being funny and being charming and charismatic. But as we've seen with Rikishi, as we've seen with Santino Morella, if you're a comedy mid-card guy that has a good role, you do not need to be in the main event. It defeats the purpose of who you are. So we'll see. As far as how he got it, it's the only way he was going to get it. And it sets up some things, I guess, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a huge Money in the Bank guy. I was more entertained by all the stuff leading up to it. But, I, although I was, admittedly, the thing I was most disappointed, what happened to Dana Brooke? And what, like, did she just, like, die on the way? She never made it up to the roof. What happened? Well, three of them never made it up to the roof. Yeah, what's going on? Dana never made it up to the roof. Carmella na- never made it up right. to the roof. And Dana never Why made not? it up to the roof. Why not? Well, Shayna got choke slammed into the wall by Nia. That was a little bit of a weak sauce. And Dana slipped and bu- slipped and hit her head. Remember? Did you yeah. also slip and hit your head? Is that why you don't remember what happened? I mean, I, I remember what happened. I just don't. I you know, I don't know. It just seemed like a pretty weak way. Like wrestlers take bumps all the time. And and I don't. Know, I guess I also just don't like the idea of joking about maybe she had a concussion. Like I don't love those jokes to this day. Like, I, I can take a joke about most things, but I don't know. Plus, I, I was hoping Dana would win it. I, w- I mean, I get why she didn't now. <laughs> I get it. 
I like me some Dana Brooke. I think you know. I think she's worked hard. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the future of Dana Brooke. I'm excited now to I see know what she that brings. you really like fake things. You're a huge Absolutely. fan of fake things. No, I just I, I you know I'm a I'm a fan of her work ethic. I, I I'll admit that. I think she's worked hard. I think she's taken her lumps. I think you know maybe give her a shot. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm I'm okay. I'm okay in that regard. Like I said, I had fun with it with this weird money in the bank thing that they did in, in, you know, climbing up the, the building. I'm glad that the commentary didn't say climb the corporate ladder 500 times when they're in the building. Cause I would have gotten upset, but it was, it was fun. And again, we, we don't have to now pretend with some mid card heel that, Oh my God, he might cash in today. It's Otis. We're going to do something different because Otis is something different. So I can live with that. And obviously I get why Asuka won. And now I'm happy because Asuka has been one of the best performers in WWE period over the last six months. I mean, agree or disagree. I, I think she's been one of the most entertaining people and probably the best at entertaining a crowd of nobody. Like most people don't ha- know how to have the same energy. She don't have that problem. She is a ball Asuka of... has been the MVP of all of these empty arena shows. The only other person who has been performing anywhere close to Asuka's level is Alina Vega. But Asuka, without a doubt, has carried Monday Night Raw for the past almost three months now, which is nuts to think about. She has... No, I lied. What is it? Two months? Two months. Math is good. She has carried Monday Night Raw for the last two months on her back. So if there was anybody to earn the opportunity to win the Money in the Bank, a.k.a. the Women's Championship, to be the person to supplant arguably the best champion of the 2010s and 2020s, yeah, I said it. I think Becky Lynch is the best champion the company has had since 2010. Asuka deserves that chance. She's earned it. This is a weird show. We agree a lot. That's that's not normal. Agree with me. I do. Agree that Oscar is the best champion of the past uh, fifteen years in WWE. Not Oscar. Becky Lynch has been the best champion in WWE. I think she's been a fantastic champion, and with that, I think she'll be a fantastic mother too. I agree. The ma. Which sort are you getting? Are you getting the ma, or are you getting hashtag formula money? Uh, are you getting the mom? What, where are you going with this? I'll probably go with the formula money, but I also, I expect, I expect nothing less than Becky Lynch to come up with a shirt that somehow is a better pun than all those things. Because if, if Becky is nothing else, she is the queen of puns. So I'm excited for what she comes up with. she came up with all three of those. Yeah, the, and I think the, she, she's going to step it up shirt, even more. I don't know if you've seen it. The Ma is the man, but they just black out the end. So it's just I have. I've, I've seen him. I'm excited about it. I'm excited for her. I'm even excited for Seth. Good job, buddy. So with that said, we have come to the end of our long and winding road. And in the words of the dead, what a long, strange trip it's been. So we'll be back for another show at another time. But before we do... Let's make sure that we plug the hell out of all the things that we're doing. So, Kravitz, the floor is yours. I enjoy the on it quite often. Keeping Connected is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We talk about how people are dealing with the coronavirus and how it's affecting them, all different types of people from all different walks of life. People are out there thinking because they're not celebrities or they're not first-line workers, that their lives do not matter at this point. The media says that they don't. I am here to refute that. You matter. Also, Billy and the Crab is going to come back strong whenever sports comes back very strong. And you can find this on all of the same platforms you find Keeping Connected and this show. We're also on social media at BNK Radio, I-95 on Twitter, Facebook.com backslash BNK Radio. And Keeping Connected has no social media. Because I want this to be as limited a run as humanly possible. Excellent. 
And as you said, we are on all those different podcast places. If you are listening on one of those, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, wherever it is, do us a favor, subscribe to the channel so that you are the first to know when new episodes come out. Leave some comments, five stars, all that good stuff. Hell, if it's not five stars, tell us why. What can we do better? How can we best sports entertain you? You tell us that, we'll do our best to make it better. But also make sure to follow us on the social medias. You can also find me at Cordova's Travels Through History on Facebook. We talk about events in the world of history. We just passed one of the best events in history for America, which was VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, that happened this past weekend. So that's really an exciting anniversary. Of course, when we defeated the Germans in Europe and the liberation of the concentration camps happens around that time. So really good stuff there. And nice to think about the fact that we did win there and we were able to help a lot of people. But find out more. Cordova's Travels Through History. And make sure to follow all of our stuff and Kravitz stuff. And we'll be back with another show next week. So have a good weekend, everybody. And we'll see you soon.